everybody. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Podspell. Um, my name is Shay, and I'm here with Emily Richmond. Uh, we're two uh, badass chicas who yeah. are going to talk to you a little bit about our experience in the theater and our experience with the uh, um, feeling shame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shame in theater. <laughs> There's nothing. Uh, <laughs> two more things common. I was introduced to in my teens. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, same here. I mean, I've, I remember I felt. The first time I felt shame was uh, I was really proud of these cowboy boots in kindergarten. Oh, God. They're bright, they're red, and they're delicious. And mm-hmm. some of the kids were like, what are you wearing? And I'm like, cowboy boots, obviously. <laughs> and they're like, why? And then immediately I was like, hmm, shame. Okay. <laughs> I know. I was just realizing, I'm like, who am I kidding? I got introduced to shame way before my teens. <laughs> it's like, wow, you're lucky. <laughs> no. You are living the American dream if you don't feel I'm shame like, into your teens. What's my first memory? Mm, probably full of shame. <laughs> What is your earliest memory? Ever? Yeah. Ooh. That's a good question. Maybe, oh, man. I have some real weird nebulous memories of the first house like that I grew up in. I just remember that there was a lot of, like, wood paneling because it was probably built in the 70s. Okay. But, like, first distinct memories are, like, when we went to Disneyland when I was eight years old. Being on an airplane for the first time, I remember it being really cool. My first memories of shame, however, were shortly after that. When I was probably about nine and I played Little League. And we weren't allowed to leave our uniform untucked. And I had this little fat belly and I just didn't want to tuck in my shirt because I felt super self-conscious. And I just knew, I actually just wrote like a thing about this, no joke. But I didn't know that fat athletes existed because I never saw any. And even though throughout my life I was doing quote-unquote athletic things I didn't consider them athletic because fat people couldn't be athletes because that was like the narrative that I knew and so even though when I was like this little little league this has nothing to do with theater but when I was this little little league player I'm just being athletic it didn't occur to me that I was it was just I was like I don't don't want people seeing my fat body running around and I hated tucking in my uniform shirt but I liked playing I just that's like my first (laughs) Like shameful memory, I think. Wow, that's like full experience. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. So welcome to Podspell. Yeah, welcome to Podspell. And, well, um, talking about shame. Yeah. I think mine was an actually an athletic shame as well. I remember like there's pictures of it too, which is like shame evidence forever. Oh, I was a little boy in cowboy boots mm-hmm. theme, but I went to my two of my cousins um, did like rodeo. They're like rodeo. Oh, nice goddesses like, yeah just, like really queens good at are it. called rodeo queens okay well yeah but they, don't, they don't have like bedazzled but they're oh. beautiful. but they but like they did that and i was really young and i was like oh well maybe so they're like well as a little boy like i would do it or no i didn't i did this one event poorly one time it was like a hobby horse race <laughs> i didn't want to do it and i remember like crying and being really Aww. upset and my dad being like you need to do it just go i'm just being so frustrated my family all being like oh going well oh no <laughs> and then like most of my athletic like departures as a child i think end with me being like i just i just don't yeah. want it with the crying i'm feeling bad like when i quit karate i was like oh, i just don't like this just and don't i like cried this. yeah and everyone's like we spent money on it and i'm like why i don't like <laughs> it <laughs> i never asked for this um so i guess when now with shame in the arts yeah yeah okay sorry yeah let's do that no that's good. Good. i think it's a good intro to we're both just shameful people. <laughs> Most like. of the world is full of shame. Yeah. Like oh, I will tell you this in my work, I see. So in the in the in the theater and in arts, like a lot of our work is like connection and intimacy and and vulnerability. But yet, 
in my experience, there's always like a shame element to how it's either taught to us or how the leadership is built or in the idea of doing something right or wrong, even oh, though yeah. that doesn't really exist mm-hmm. in, the, in the arts in like a, in a big way, you know, like um, they're in ballet, there's technique and in theater, there's skill and, and there's all these different things that go into building something. But then there's almost like a, a little shame shadow that comes with all of us. Yeah. And especially how we're, how we absorb it initially. That's so interesting because the initial thing that I think of when you bring that up is archetypes. Mm -hmm. Because, so like I am, for folks listening, I'm a fat woman, like an obese woman. I have a very fat body and I have had a fat body my whole life. And I definitely long for traditional, quote unquote, ingenue roles because I don't ever get an opportunity to play them. Now, having said that, when I was younger in high school and college and stuff, I did get to play some cool character roles. So I'm not, you know, (laughs) begrudging that because it was a really great introduction into character work and I developed a lot as an actor. But I will tell you when you talk about that, like this shadow or this element of shame in the arts, it's like theater became this place where I could I could be myself. I felt included in like this big pack of weirdos, but I clearly knew my spot. And I think that's the shame element like that comes up for me when you're talking about that is there are certain people who are still allowed to be party, but like you know your role, like literally your role, right? Archetypes on stage. And so what ends up happening because we don't have representation of full Um, characters, full people, Um, we get the shame comes in in the form of, how am I trying to put, so I think the shame comes in in the form of like, here are like love stories, for example, right, or heroic stories. Here's what heroes and lovers look like. If you are a person that doesn't look like that, you cannot be a hero or a lover, right, because the arts are supposed to be, or at least started out right as this mirror, right, this place to reflect ourselves. If we don't see ourselves reflected, what are we to believe about ourselves? And it goes around to like the fat athlete thing I was talking about. I didn't even know fat athletes existed until like, I was 30 years old because Cheryl Hayworth, I saw her in this book, and she's this huge, powerful weight, Olympic weightlifter. She's incredible. I had never even seen, like, I didn't even know that you could be athletic and fat, especially as a fat woman, because it just has never been represented, right? So that to me is where the shame, like, when I think about shame in theater. Yeah, when you, when you talk about, like, what they look like, or this is, this is a love interest, this mm-hmm. is that. Even as a, as a boy doing theater, I always knew eventually I would because I really I was like, oh, I could just age into it. Oh. So even as a boy, like I re- in high school, I read Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Not necessarily a love story, right? Okay. But George is the main is a main character. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's dealing with these things, and the focus is on him and Martha. And I went, oh, he kind of looks like me now. He's like mm. big. He's he's a man. He has all these things. He's like, oh, well, I can just age into that. So I'll play, yeah. you know, the funny side person, or I'll I'll be <clears throat> the the bad guy, or I'll be the person because I'm so large. I'm such sure. a tall, big person. And I was like, oh, but then when I'm when I'm a an older person, like in my forties, fifties, sixties, then I can play those. Then parts. I can play those parts. Yeah. But I feel like as a woman, you probably don't 
Huh? <laughs> I mean, you have like what, Mama Rose? Right. Sure. Okay. But who's no one who's in love with Mama Rose? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, you know that is interesting. Because um, even I think there's a little more availability for older women, but even then, even then, like fat women are just not on stage a lot unless it's a you know comedic. Yeah. sort of role, you know, or like comedy. and Or a play about obesity. Or a play about obesity. You're like, okay, fat pig. Yeah. Someone's doing fat pig, like mm-hmm. you're going to get a part. Um, but even then, what like... A charming part, though. I know, it's like so specific, yeah. right? Um, and so that just, you know, comes up for me. I think a lot of shame, I felt... I don't know if shame comes into... Shame plays a part there, I guess, and how it was like... I learned who I was through theater and not necessarily in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had to unlearn a lot of that, you know, and and push through that shame. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, that's. Do you think like your first introduction to the arts and learning your, your role Mm -hmm. in the arts, um, has a f- how how has that affected you as an artist up until this point? Oh, I will say probably one of the reasons I started going in the direction of directing more than acting, although I love both of them, is that I just sort of felt like my opportunities would be greater as a director mm-hmm. because I just accepted that my roles in performance were really limited. And so I think it's impacted me in a huge way because I think – a lot of the roles that I read for women that I just have this knowledge that I wouldn't get cast as by many directors because of, of my body. Um, honestly, I think I just don't have the guts for that rejection, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, is maybe a shameful thing that I'm admitting. Um, professional working actresses just astound me in there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use the word bravery. That's not correct. But just in their perseverance, I think. I I just, um, it's hard work, and especially fat-bodied actresses. I think it's just hard. I can't imagine the amount of rejection that you continually have to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I moved more towards directing because I just was like, I just don't want to play witches and grandmas. and In your 20s and 30s, you know. (laughs) know And so I think I think it did impact me. And now I'm not saying that's a negative thing. I love the directing work that I do. I love it. Um, but I think it did impact me in that I would have probably pursued more performance, more acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think about that too because when, when I was studying acting at the undergraduate level, we talked a lot about our type. Yeah. And so we had a whole like week of classes where this was in my classical acting class. We had talked about like, each other where we would stand up and they'd go, okay, what's their type? What's their age range? Oh, wow. And it was uh, a really eye-opening. That like gives me anxiety to hear it, you yeah. say that. It was. It was, it was very anxiety-inducing. It was kind of, it was helpful in a way because I guess I had always viewed myself as like the funny sidekick or I'd had this sort of thing, especially because I've always been big and I've always been tall and I've always kind of had this inclination to kind of play like the sarcastic like person or like the, the bully. Or, sure. But then... Some of them were like, oh, like maybe like 20 to 20, maybe 20 to 30 and like maybe either a jock or maybe either like, it's kind of like giving me options as and I was like, oh, but, and it was less about my appearance and more about like, oh, I could see you doing this. The but energy then, kind of that you yeah. presented. Okay. But when we got to like some of my female counterparts, 
then it was like a different conversation. And it was kind of weird because the class was primarily women. Right. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm up in the gay. And so I felt like, oh, well, I, and like, I want to play gay characters. So I don't act as much because I like, I would rather play a queer character than mm-hmm. a straight character because um, I don't want to get cooties. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember when we got to my, my, my female colleagues, it was like, oh, well, you're kind of short. And oh, maybe if you like wore a different outfit, then you would open yourself up to another kind of thing. Or, oh, maybe like 25 to 40, like not all of them, you know, like, right. but every once in a while I'd be like, oh, that, that took a turn for this person. <laughs> right. Especially because like at my school, we, 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 they still do a lot of like primarily female playwrights. They do a lot of um, diverse works. Um, and they even just did a place um, called Real Women Have Curves. Oh, yeah. And so it's about, like, bigger-bodied women of color. Mm-hmm. And and but just being in that classroom and being like, oh, we're not the same. Mm-hmm. We're not looked at the same. Because yeah. I, I feel like, especially now that I'm a little bit older, I feel like I could walk into a room and, like, sling it and, and, get, and maybe be viable for a part that I want. Mm-hmm. And that class didn't really deter me from that. But I know a lot of people, not directly because of that class, but that aren't pursuing performance mm-hmm. and they're kind of doing other things. And I always wonder, like, if those conversations continued outside of the classroom and how that affected them in their work, because they were, like, brilliant, but they're not around. Right. So it's so interesting that you say this because fairly recently, a group of my friends and I um, that are really wanting to see more modern works kind of done and we don't really have any theater companies around here that really produce those very much we have started kind of talking about hey you know wonder if we could like mount our own production just like us like just do something that we know probably nobody around here is going to do and then also the goal of playing roles that other directors are not going to cast us in because we just know this right (laughs) we just know our types which don't necessarily lend themselves to actual performance capability, right? Yeah. It's just visually, whatever. And I'm, I'm a comedic person. I do stand-up comedy, so I think a lot of people assume mm-hmm. that I just only want to do comedy, yeah. which I love. I think is great and fun, but it's not the only thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. So we did a little reading, just the, our, us friends, you know, we just got together and, and did a reading of the script. Mm-hmm. And it's like... A total, like, ingenue kind of role. Um, the show is Becky Shaw. I don't know if you're familiar with oh, Becky, yeah, Shaw. Becky Shaw. So we just got together and we just did, like, a reading of it or whatever. And um, I read for, like, the main, basically the, the lead, the main character. And it was so interesting because I had this incredible feeling, this moment of, I'm like, I have never read for things like that. I mean, it's never, like, I've read plays with these characters, these types of characters. I personally, as an actress, have never read for these kind of roles. And to be able to read through a whole show like that, it was exhilarating. And we were literally just sitting around doing a reading to get an idea of how it is. And it was so incredible because afterwards, my friend, one of my friends who, you know, I was reading with, we were talking later about how cool it would be if we can do this. It's kind of just a little idea is percolating for us. And he said... I want you to know, I've always, I mean, I, I love working with you always, but I was not prepared for what you were going to bring into that reading. I was, 
and I don't want to, and he's, he's very kind, so he's like, I don't want to sell you short and say, I didn't think you could do that, but I was really blown away by what you did. That, that was incredibly good work, and I was like, wow, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about how I was appearing to others. I was just loving reading it. But what that kind of did for me is I thought, see, there it is. There's the proof, right? This is somebody who personally knows me. He knows we do theater work together all the time, like yeah. as a director and stuff, I work with him. Um, and, and here he was going like, oh yeah, I literally, just because of the way that he's been trained, right, wouldn't have expected that of you. Because, yeah. and he didn't explicitly say this, but I feel like I can say it knowing him, because his whole viewpoint has always, you know, he's never seen women of my body type perform those types of roles. I guarantee it, he's just never seen it. Yeah, and going back to you talking about bravery, like if, if I was directing Becky Shaw and I cast you, it would be brave. Oh, brave, if, yes. If someone cast me in a part that might be un unconventional, it would be bold. Oh my god, I'm, you know I've never even thought of that, but you're absolutely correct. When, you, when I think about casting choices, oh, like, yeah, Emily Richardson's going to play Becky Shaw in a brave performance, where yeah. it's like Shay playing, I don't know, Brutus, and Julius Caesar right. is bold. Bold. Yeah, because bold implies that's so fascinating right because the word brave implies oh man brave implies so much mm. and you know what i'm thinking of right now is when people will compliment fat women mm -hmm. who wear body um conscious kind of conform like tighter mm -hmm. clothing yeah. like that show their shape they'll be like oh my gosh you're so brave yeah. but the thing is that bravery insinuates it might even be a definition i'd have to look it up bravery insinuates that you're doing something up against a huge threat mm -hmm. right because who else is brave soldiers are brave mm -hmm. right people that are going through chemotherapy are brave <laughs> um and i think to myself it's like i literally just wore a sleeveless shirt karen mm -hmm. I, what's i'm i'm not in danger of dying yeah. but socially fat bodies are so reviled mm -hmm. Amongst other things that we have talked about, right? They're so reviled that it is brave to show your body. Mm -hmm. And so it would be brave to present a fat body person in an ingenue role, in a love in, in a loving love interest role, because you're up against so much, right? Mm -hmm. But bold, bold means something different. Yeah, bold can be almost anything. Mm -hmm. Bold can just be like, I'm doing a great job. Bold can be something of like it's it's less of a risk factor almost. It becomes more of a yeah. positive spin on. There's nothing risky about casting me, but it was a. It's a cool idea that you did. Sure. Where brave is like, like out of the box, mm, bold. Oh, let's come see Emily Richmond as Becky Shaw. It's a brave endeavor. It's like, okay, <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, I even like. Um, I don't know if you know the the musician Lizzo. I've. He I mean, I've heard of Lizzo, but I don't know that I've heard a lot. So, she, but she's like, music. she's kind of having this like. Um, like renaissance right now because she's oh, been wait, around she's for... like a really gorgeous thick black woman yeah. yes okay i know who you're talking about yeah yes. her new song juice is really popular yes and, but she's like been around for a couple years she's great music i, I saw her i've seen her at pride festivals and, and, and at clubs in california but she's like been around working really just doing really great music and and now this year is kind of like the year of lizzo where mm -hmm. we're starting off with juice and these and these sold out tour that she's on and <clears throat> and something she does i follow her on instagram is she almost daily she wears like revealing clothing mm -hmm. she's always in lingerie and she's twerking and she's playing <laughs> her flute and and she's just amazing and sexy and beautiful and and the th 
a lot of comments I see on her Instagram, where I primarily follow her other than her music, is like, yeah, you go, girl, you're, you're doing such brave work, like, and it's like, she's just like a beautiful woman wearing skimpy lingerie, and it's like, right. if you follow someone else on Instagram who's doing the same thing, you're not going to be like, yeah, you go, Natalie Portman, you, <laughs> so not that brave. Natalie Portman would do that, but, right. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, Natalie Portman wearing a bikini, or, or J-Lo wearing a, a low-cut dress right. isn't brave, it's just J-Lo being J-Lo, yes. but yeah. Lizzo doing it is like, Oh, how girl, brave. you are yeah. like, you're pushing boundaries with that booty. <laughs> and it's like, in a way she is. I mean, because, I mean, I love Madonna, but Madonna in the 90s was saying nobody wants to see a, f- a fat pop star. That's why I work out. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. a famous quote from her. And I, as I think about it, I can't think of a lot of fat pop stars that are women, um, you know, like Sam Smith, who's a, who's who's lost weight. I didn't think he was that big to begin with, but mm-hmm. he's a bigger guy and everyone's like, oh. He's queer and he's fat. You go, <laughs> Sam Smith. And it's like, well, he's also an incredible vocalist and songwriter. Yeah. But we also can start to fixate on that his music. Yeah. Where someone like like Lizzo, for example, a lot of her interviews are too about her being bigger. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, okay. Or like they become like a niche artist. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see a big, a big bodied singer. Yeah, right. It's like, what? I know it. it so talk about sh- like I'm trying to to bring this back around to shame, and I just think shame is so like en- enveloped. It's just enfolded in like the whole thing, mm. right? Because I'm sitting here going like, this has literally colored my entire artistic career, my entire like career as an artist. Mm. But but I will tell you something that's popped in my mind that's been like a positive impact is that as a director specifically. I am constantly aware of how I'm casting. Mm -hmm. And when I'm auditioning, I have really, really worked hard. And I think kind of, for lack of a better term, flipped the switch in my brain. So I don't really see body archetypes anymore. Mm -hmm. I really am focused on someone's energy, like what you were saying before about in that class. And what's important for this character, right? Like Mm -hmm. vocal quality, you know, like movement, like how familiar and comfortable is somebody Mm -hmm. with their body if it's a character that needs to have a lot of body comfort, a lot of, you know, movement ease. Um, and And I feel grateful for that because I really do feel like I'm able to make better theater Mm -hmm. by rejecting a lot of that. Yeah. Am I allowed to swear in your podcast? Yeah, you say whatever you want bullshit (laughs) but rejecting a lot of that bullshit I think because of quite frankly the pain that it has caused me Mm -hmm. even though I couldn't necessarily feel it so acutely at the time but how it has modified the way I approach things as an artist Mm -hmm. um I think it's a gift it was like this great gift in this really shitty box yeah (laughs) you know like full of razor blades that I had to open Mm -hmm. because then when I got inside I was like oh wait more open mindedness towards casting which creates i think better theater for me yeah totally i think it does too because then you're you're actually looking at a real person you're Mm -hmm. looking at a uh, a character through the lens of a person with experience and with a different perspective that might not have been offered before yeah you know it's very bold of you (laughs) it's very bold of me (laughs) you know speaking of that like the whole becky shaw thing so becky shaw is the name of one of the characters, but it's not the lead character, mm. right? But the interesting thing is we had this conversation, my friends and I, about this. Like, all things being open and my body type notwithstanding and quote-unquote types, I really would not be good to play Becky Shaw. 
Mm. her character. I just don't have the right energy for it. Mm. And we talked about this and I was like, no, I agree with that 100%. I would never want to play her because I just don't think I would do it justice. Yeah. But the main character I felt more connected to, you know what I mean? Which was so interesting because when you actually strip those stupid visual types, mm. you really get to the root of characters. Yeah. And, and I think shame plays a lot into that question because whether it's body type, like mind, body size, or I was thinking like, you know, I've been going to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for years. And one of the things that I, I really love about it that I think I never really noticed because it seemed normal to me because I started going as a teenager mm-hmm. um, until I started directing myself mm-hmm. in a, in a quite frankly, primarily like very homogenized white mm-hmm. area where I live. Uh, is that, like, you go to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and this whole idea of, like, oh, but do they look like they're related to each other mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't really matter, yeah. right? You know, unless there's a specific reason for a character. Like, I always use the example of Othello, mm-hmm. right? Othello is literally the more of Venice. And so there's a specific visual look of an actor that you need mm-hmm. to have. Fine, that's understandable. But aside from that being specified, there is literally nothing physical, right, that should determine a, a character's look. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of it is stuff that's to do with costuming, right, like yeah. where they fit in society or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about the Oregon Shakespeare Festival I, that I love and other kind of professional productions I've seen sometimes is – it, it really forces you to think about characters themselves yeah. when you're not looking at like, oh, does that family mm-hmm. look like they belong together? Like the script told us they're family. Mm-hmm. We see them on stage. The lights came up. They're all in their living room. Done. I don't need any more than that. Yeah. And I think it it creates an opportunity to tell better stories. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of audiences really would benefit from more of that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, especially because I know, I won't name them, but I know a director who, during auditions, will line people up uh. to see what they look like next to each other. And then he kind of does like a big factor in what they all look like and what they look like together. Mm-hmm. Nothing about text, nothing about their skill. But, like, that's, like, a huge, huge part of his process is, like, looking at them all and deciding what they look like together. And I'm I'm chuckling because, by the way, my um, high school director did that every single musical audition. And so much so that we, my friend group, friend, friend group, started calling it the meat show. It was literally a thing that yeah. we talked about as part of auditions. Like, oh, time for the meat show. Mm. It's actually Anyways, funny because the guy continue. I'm talking about does musicals. Oh. <laughs> Maybe it's musicals. Who knows? I don't know. One of my favorite plays that does deal with 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 body and and people with bigger bodies is called Man Boobs by J. Julian Christopher. Really? Who I think is just a divine playwright. Like his work is so beautiful. And this particular play is a two hand play about these two men who are gonna like hook up. And and one of the men is is kind of self conscious about his body. He doesn't want to take his shirt off and and dealing with this whole thing and. And it's so beautiful. And when I read it a couple of years ago, and and this going to tie in like the second part of like intimacy, but okay. looking at like my relationship to my body, mm-hmm. and then like my sexuality, and then seeing like because I was pretty like looking at pictures of me when I was a little boy, I was I was skinny, I was small, I was kind of thin, and then I started gaining weight, like five, six, seven, eight, and then just kind of got big, and then got really tall, and then all this stuff happening. 
But the thing about that play that I never thought about was like the idea of like being vulnerable physically with people, mm-hmm. particularly as an artist of like me as a as a big man is a little bit different than like a big woman just because of societal sure. things. But then looking at like me coming out and me experiencing like my sex life and experiencing that portion of myself and then how like breaking through some of those shame barriers and and partnering with that part of myself and partnering with that shame part of myself too to allow myself to experience and allowing my body to express itself and allowing mm-hmm. my sex to kind of become a part of my being and then allow, which in essence allowed my body to become a part of my life yeah and that play was so big for me because towards the end of the show not to ruin it but by the end of it the guy does take his shirt off and then they like touch each other mm. and it was just so soft you know it's just like a very soft gentle beautiful moment or at least that's how I envisioned it and and thinking like oh yeah I can remember the first time I let a man touch me or, 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 or the first time a man touched me but then I can also remember the first time I like allowed myself to be touched mm-hmm. you know and how the difference between those two things of like having just sex and like having someone's hands on me yeah. versus like opening myself up to the experience of someone touching my body right and then how that changed my work as an artist because after that moment and after the moments after that where now I'm having like full body sex rather than like the sort of like hitting the key parts you know (laughs) but once you have that full body experience then I started to understand intimacy Hmm. because it wasn't just a matter of like fucking and coming like it was a matter matter of like oh letting someone touch me Uh and allowing that to be a positive experience and then so the same thing with being a director how can I create an intimate experience with characters and allowing people to have a full body experience on stage, not necessarily mm-hmm. sexual, <laughs> you know, right. don't, don't call HR, but, <laughs> but, but how do you have a full body experience on stage in yeah. a vulnerable sense and letting audience members, you know, in a metaphorical way, touch you and how that all connects this. Okay. So, oh man, I have so many thoughts about this. I'm going to try to remember them all and get them all in here in a way that makes sense. So number one thing that just came up for me just now when you were saying that is actually nothing to do with sex at all, but talk about having an being intimate like with an audience, like actually being intimate with an audience. So the last show that I acted in was The Tempest, you know, for our local Shakespeare company. And I was cast as Stefano, the drunken butler. <laughs> and my partner who played Trinculo is one of my close friends who I was already comfortable with, right? So I had this safety with him mm-hmm. in our scenes together. And um, Caliban is also was also played by an actress that I know, you know, and so we had this comfort kind of in that moment. And I will tell you that on my own, right, in my own personal life, I'd been doing all of this work towards accepting my body, reconnecting to my body, Um Pro tip, yoga is great about that. If you get a size-inclusive yoga instructor, yoga was essential in me reconnecting to my body that I had just pushed away for a long time. I digress. Um, So one of the things was, like, when I got my costume, you know, I have these, like, you know, breeches, basically, made out of my own dress pants. We just, like, hemmed them, and they looked great. And then, like, a tunic tucked into that and, like, a vest. And you could totally see the outline of both of my bellies because mm-hmm. I have this, like, B-shaped belly. And let me tell you, I put that costume on at first, and I was just so anxious. I mean, it just, like, overwhelmed me, my anxiety, because mm-hmm. I thought I can't 
be on stage like this, you know? There are very few people I allow to see the outline of my bellies, which maybe sounds like a crazy thing if you're a thin-bodied person listening to this, but as like a fat woman, it is like on my mind constantly. So the the thing, thing about intimacy that you're saying that makes sense to me is I made the decision right away. I thought, no, fuck this. I am not allowing this to screw up the performance I've been working on so hard. And now that I got my costume, I'm like freaked out. So I just tried to remind myself that as an actor, I'm bringing forth a character. And anyway, I did a bunch of work. And what ended up happening was I actually had moments on stage where the me part of me kind of disappeared because I had all this trust with my actors, you know, my friend that I was performing with. And I I was actually allowed myself to be completely seen. You know, I opened my chest up. I, I really showed myself physically. And so I leaned into the character and, and really got away from the physical kind of what I would call act of protecting my body, like keeping my arms around me and trying to obscure parts of my body. Yeah. I really got away from that and it was honestly pretty magical because it felt so free Mm. to and the intimacy part I'm talking about is to allow the audience to like fully see not like my flesh okay I was clothed but (laughs) the shape the actual true shape of my body which I have spent my entire life as a person and as an artist trying to obscure because I was so ashamed of it I felt so much shame and by like leaning into that and just going like this character is how this character is like Mm. the this is what they're paying for. Yeah. And I gave myself permission. No, mind you, I had done a bunch of personal work on that before, so it impacted me as an artist. But that intimate moment, it was very intimate for me, whether the audience knew that or not. The, the vulnerability that I was presenting and just showing my full physical yeah. body to them was powerful to me. Yeah. You know? And I, th- I think the audience does uh, perceive those things because it's a matter of, like Uta Hagen says, the, o- the audience cannot go anywhere that you are not. That's so true. And so looking at, like, if, if you're in your body and you're able to be in this story, then they can go with you. Yeah. But if there even is those little blocks of, even if it's like, oh, well, I don't want to do something physical because mm-hmm. I don't want to show this. Well, the audience, in some way or another, will pick up on that. Yeah. I that agree. there's some sort of block. And so looking at, especially, like, when we're casting now, like, that we've we've both kind of had this journey and, and a continued journey with our bodies and stuff... How do you feel about plays like like Hairspray or mm. plays like or plays like Fat Pick? Like is there a place for them in terms of I guess your work specifically or or in in the in journeys as bigger bodied mm-hmm. artists? I I think okay, so personally I think there is a place for pieces, shows that have characters that are specified to be large bodied. Mm. I think there is a place for that. <laughs> where I struggle is where those characters are used as a device. Mm-hmm. And well and this, so like hairspray, for example, is one that I, you know, I have a personal attachment to hairspray because mm. one of the first fat bodied women I ever saw in a film was Ricky Lake in Hairspray. Mm-hmm. And she was beautiful and she was like fashionable for the world of the play. Mm-hmm. And she was brave, right? And she was bold and her hair always looked amazing. And she's in this friggin' musical just shining. Mm-hmm. So of course I have a personal attachment to that. And I think there's a place for those types of roles in in really representing positive mm-hmm. 
powerful, even if sort of whimsical versions of fat bodies, right? The representation of that, like as a young woman, I was just like, oh my God, yes, right? Mm. Like, that's great. The problem, I think, is that it tends to stop there. So Fat Pig, as an example, I, I think I find problematic for me. At the time that it was written, I can kind of understand that it was sort of groundbreaking a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) to address the idea that men date fat women in private, that they will not date in public. I think that's more of a widely held um, notion now. People, I think, are aware of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Fat Pig, I struggle with some of the language in it because I don't think that it presents um, what personally I would like it to, which is at the end to say this bullshit is wrong. If you want to date someone, date them. If you don't because your friends are afraid, you need to do your work and stop being such a shithead because Mm -hmm. (laughs) a person's body doesn't make them shameful or not shameful. Um, So what I would say is I think if it stops there, that's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. I think those can be powerful basically as like social justice pieces, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're looking at a fat body character being specified for the purpose of the other characters learning mm-hmm. something to demonstrate something about the life experience of a fat bodied person. That's great. I think yeah. that's wonderful. If that's the only reason we're specifying people are fat bodied, then that's problematic because it stops there. The other mm-hmm. thing is we also have to have in conjunction with that <laughs> fat bodied actors being cast to play various roles that have nothing to do with their body because their body doesn't really matter. And I think the combination of those is like raising awareness, but then you're also fixing the problem. Mm -hmm. You're going to really stop needing the first one because if you're actually casting in a diverse way, now you might want to still be telling individual stories, right? Like, I mean, it's not like we don't need, you know, playwrights written by, not like we don't need plays written by black playwrights, right? Or like Asian playwrights that Mm -hmm. are, that are not, you know, racist in their portrayal of Asian characters, for example. Mm. We still need those, right, to tell those specific stories because that's a specific experience. We should also be seeing Asian actors playing lots of roles in lots of other kinds of shows Mm -hmm. that are not specific to, like, a specific cultural experience, right? Um, And so I think, to answer your question, I think they still have a place, but we have more work to do. (laughs) Yeah, like, the reason I bring it up is because, like, I saw Fat Pig a couple years ago, and as... As interesting as I thought the perspective was, my problem was that it was just the other characters having to grapple with their their biases and their tolerance of this woman. Sure. And also, she, like a lot of characters in that situation, aren't given any agency. Uh, yes. That, yeah. So, like, at the end, it's she has she's leaving it up to him whether he wants to be with her or not, rather than advocating for her mm-hmm. wants and needs. And I think that is a huge part of those kinds of stories is that, yeah. and that's with a lot of stories, like even if we're dealing with, with, with different cultural situations or queer situations, a lot of times the problem is there's no agency. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can deal with another film about gay bashing if the character being assaulted has a point of view and agency in the story sure. rather than the story being about them being victimized and and everyone else having to grapple with, well, how do I feel about that? Rather than how about the person being assaulted or attacked or or put on display for this for this teaching opportunity for everybody else, 
let's see what they have to say. Let's see what their point of view is and mm-hmm. what do they want to see change. It's like my when I was at the when I was going through graduate school, a colleague of mine and a dear friend of mine, um, we were experiencing on campus a lot of like racial tensions. And her perspective as a black woman was, I don't want to have to be responsible for your education dealing with people of color. Right. That's not my job. Right. My job isn't to help you feel better about your situation. It's what my problem is with, like, I don't know if you've ever read Clyburn Park, the Bruce Norris show. I've heard of it, you know, but I don't think I've read it. It's the one where, like, the, it takes place in the same world as Raisin in the Sun, and there's a, and they, they buy the house that they live in, and, and they live in Clyburn Park, and you kind of see it then and now. Okay. And I want a Pulitzer, and it was very... This is sounding familiar, but I don't think I've actually read the show. So it's a, a lot. I've seen it a couple times. A lot of people love it. It's on a lot of, like, plays you need to read before you die. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a great play. But my experience with the play and my experience seeing it with my friends who are of color is I think that's another play where we're dealing with uh, a play that's helping white people feel better about racism. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. uh, my, it's a very unpopular opinion, but that's how mm. I feel. And I feel like that play is not quite like Fat Pig because the people of color in that play have agency and they do have a point of view. Sure. Um, but then I feel like it was also very, it was, it's praised for its, for its challenging work and what it's done and its bravery. Um, and I think Bruno is a fabulous writer, so please don't comment below (laughs) but i just feel like our our relationship to that play was like oh step forward right but it's like i feel like it was middle of the road Mm -hmm. and i think i'm no longer accepting of middle of the road middle of the road conversations i think you know you you something you said sparked me to think like you know if if fat pig was about the main character having a full life and there were elements of um, fat phobia that impacted her and then she had agency in those moments and we did get this kind of clear reflection of the way that the world talks about and treats fat-bodied women. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a way better use of a specified fat female character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea that I think, because I think anything that presents a person as an archetype, as mm-hmm. a 2D kind of thing, that's problematic, right? Yeah. Even if we're using that as like a way to expose fat phobia or transphobia or racism mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. Um, I think for me, like talking about, you know, characters specifically written as like fat body characters, especially women, I want to see them be whole human beings that mm-hmm. part of their experience in their life is fat phobia because yeah. that's my life. My yeah. entire life is not constant fat phobia of course Mm. not i have other things that happen in my life but does it impact my life a great deal yeah but it's a subtle level right Mm -hmm. i've never dated a man who dated me in secret and i found out that he didn't want to tell his friends about me because i was fat of course i've never done that um i have however had men basically insinuate that i should sleep with them because i'm not going to get any better Mm because i got a fat body um And so that's like a real thing that happens, right? But it's not like every minute of every day. You know, in Fat Pig, for example, since we're kind of tearing that one apart, (laughs) you know, we the only experiences we see of her are with him. Yeah, and that's we don't really see her having a life. Yeah. And I know that I mean, yeah, (laughs) Neil Abu can take it, he's fine. Yeah, he's Uh, fine. And the place is fine. Older in his canon, so he's good. But the idea, like the one of the opening scenes where she's like 
eating secretly and gets mm-hmm. another bite. And But then even the way they kind of meet is like, she's grateful yes, that this man yeah. will talk to her. And I'm like, when the production I saw, I was like, but she's like beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, she's bigger and she's beautiful. And, and, and even though the, the actor that playing her was, was incredible, it was like, she had to play the, that, this is how I would act in this moment of feeling gratitude for this rather than her probably true experience, which is like, we're equal players in this moment. Sure. I, feel, I you know, that's how I've interpreted the, especially those scenes in that play a lot of like, it's like, how does an, a full bodied actress who has probably come to a place of being able to accept her body now have to play this moment of like no agency, no, but this idea of gratitude for mm-hmm. her, this lover that she has. And, and also like, I'm, I also am t- kind of interested in seeing, like, this sexual relationship with bigger bodied people that's also not fetishized. Yeah. I feel like oh that's, God, that's something, yes. you know, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to see a play about someone sitting on cakes and <laughs> as much as I, you know, I love Brie Larson doing it in United States of Terror. Like that sure, was a great experience, right, right. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just so fascinated by the fact that like we can't, especially in the West, we can't get over how people look. And we can't mm-hmm. get over that element of the performance. Mm-hmm. It's like if I can if I can close my eyes and get the story, can't that be enough sometimes? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I know we don't always have like hearing abled audience members, which we also need to address address and, and be involved. And I think as especially as directors and how we're taught directing at, at any level, like there's always this element of creating a situation on stage where what looks the best mm-hmm. rather than like what feels the best, what tells the best story, what tells, what tells the story from a perspective that actually has meaning rather than like focusing on my brave fat women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's interesting. You talk about like that opening scene with fat pig or whatever, where she's like grateful that he's talking to her. What's interesting to me about that moment is that like when you're, as you're saying it, I'm realizing that, um, I have – that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I think Neil Butte got really right in a way mm-hmm. because when you're a fat-bodied woman growing up, girl slash woman, um, the narrative is definitely that a certain type of man will not be interested in you. Mm-hmm. And so you should kind of focus on the ones who will be interested in you. And the reason I say that is that so her kind of initial reaction to him doesn't seem that weird to me. Mm. If he's a certain type of man, Mm. like physically speaking. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because I actually experienced this very recently, even though I'm 30 years old and I've done a lot of work on my own body stuff and I don't take weird bullshit from Mm. men anymore. My current partner, who I've been with for a little under a year now, um, is what I would call, quote, um, socially attractive. Mm. And what I mean by that, right, is like the social ideal, right? Mm. Firm, bold jawline, really pretty eyes, thin, athletic, you know, blondish hair, very masculine Mm -hmm. kind of look. Uh, literally, like, on our fourth date, I told him he would probably play a hot Nazi in a World War II movie, <laughs> um, which, I mean, he's still with me, so apparently that wasn't a deal breaker. But <laughs> my point being that, you know, when we first matched, we matched on a dating app, mm. and he seemed nice, 
I literally had zero expectation that it would go anywhere. I thought, we'll chat for a bit. He seems like a nice guy. Mm. And I know that's directly related to the fact that I had been told continually, either overtly or subtly my entire life, Mm. that men who looked like him would never be interested in a woman who looked like me. Mm -hmm. And so quite honestly, I wasn't playing hard to get. I just didn't put out any vibes in the beginning because I thought, I mean, he seems nice and we get along and we see, you know, he's friendly, but he he wasn't creepy and he didn't in any way try to like move too fast. Mm-hmm. And so I think these like weird messages, like as a woman, like if a dude doesn't try to bone you on the first date, mm-hmm. he's definitely not into you. Also, guys like that look like that would never be into you. I didn't really interpret it as like overtly romantic. Mm-hmm. We were just having all this great time together. Yeah. And then finally, you know, like it, we had this nice hug like on our fourth or fifth date and all of a sudden I was like whoa is this dude into me like there was just mm-hmm. something about it and so what I what I want to say about that is her reaction at the beginning of that play makes sense to me but she doesn't ever grow by the end of that play she should be like fuck you yeah. you're the one who approached me yeah. don't even try to act like because here's the thing we also then should be having in that play a moment to address how we really screw up straight men who are attracted to fat women mm. or just women who are fat. I shouldn't even say like only fat women, just mm. a variety of body types. Because the the men, boys and men who are hearing those messages that girls and women are hearing, they're hearing the same messages. Mm. So girls and women are going, oh, if I have a fat body, no one's ever going to want to fuck me. Mm. And men are going, oh, my God, if she has a fat body, I shouldn't want to fuck her. Mm-hmm. What happens if you're like, this is shameful. I'm not supposed to want to fuck her. But I really do. Mm-hmm. Then if you get rejected or if your buddies are assholes, then it's like, okay, I'm going to turn to violence because we also only train boys to be violent Mm -hmm. when they have bad feelings, which is a completely different podcast. But my point being that you just said something. And I got – this is the danger of having me on your thing. (laughs) Oh, intimacy. Way earlier – I'm probably missing the thing that you just said, but I saw a show – at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival a couple of scenes ago that was based on the poems of August Wilson. Mm. And how it's like the name is escaping me, but it was amazing. And in that show, there was this depiction of a couple, very loving and very sexual, not overtly, like not super sexualized, mm. but very passionate physically together. And they were dancing. It was like this whole thing. And she's like a, a large... Uh, black woman and he was this very thin kind of beanpole white dude and that depiction I mean I literally like couldn't stop thinking about it for weeks Mm. and actually our mutual friend got me like a a still from the production of them dancing that was signed at like an auction Mm. and framed it for me um, as a gift because I'll tell you it was like one of the first times you know I've seen Mm. a fat actress in a in an ingenue role that she was depicted as very desirable. Mm -hmm. And here was this man, very thin, you know, different type. And obviously as a black woman too, because like the story also was set a little bit kind of like in the 60s, 70s. So that was still, you know, Mm -hmm. a taboo kind of thing. But to see them together was just like so like revelatory. (laughs) I was like, Oh, my God, from the minute she came on stage, she was Mm. so desirable. It's like you just wanted to look at her, and he just immediately was like, I need to be talking to that woman. Mm -hmm. Then as their relationship, I need to be touching that woman. I need to be dancing with that woman. You could just see it coming from his actor. And I, you know, talk about intimacy on stage. I mean, nobody took any clothes off, but it was very intimate. Like, 
clearly it was intimate. I, I, I mean, I feel that too. I think, especially as like a, a queer person, like, and it, I feel like it's, I haven't seen a lot of progress in my adult life from a, a bigger queer man of like, I'm a bear. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's almost like, I feel like men, in my physical type sort of have to play a waiting game. Mm. To see which of the pretty boys, which of the more acceptable social attract socially attractive boys or men would choose us. Yeah. And I feel that especially because like a lot of apps like Grindr or even mm-hmm. Tinder, there are ways you can cut out a certain type of guy. Right. So like Scruff or Grinder, you can choose to not see bears or or chubs or bigger mm-hmm. guys. You can choose not to see certain kinds of bodies. Wow. In your applications. And so the ones that I can see, if I'm when I'm on these apps, it's almost like, all right, which one's willing to interact mm-hmm. with me? Yeah. And even when you're and then you but then you have to get into the whole thing of like who's out, who's sure all that bullshit. But I remember a lot of guys that I've been with and dated and been with sexually are usually like like a swimmer's body, like guys like that who tend to that I've, you know, not by like me seeking out that kind of body. Sure. But I can always feel the hesitancy of like go, getting to a certain point in our relationship where we can have sex and we can do all kinds of fun stuff. But then it gets to a place of like, well, what's beyond this? Mm. Okay. Start over. You know what I mean? And I, and I, I don't see that in a lot of queer media or productions. Like, you know, like J. Julian Christopher writes about it and, and I see it sometimes in 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 different like the show Looking. It was on HBO for two years, and they okay. had a movie. Um, Daniel Franzese was on the second season in the film. He played Damien in Mean Girls. Okay, yeah, yeah. He he came in, and his performance was just incredible. You know, he's a bigger guy, and he dated one of the main characters who was like a this like artist, like beautiful, um, a person of color, and and they had like a really f- amazing relationship and a very sexual relationship and I remember there's an episode where they're having sex and it's like pretty graphic and they're having sex and it's really awesome and then um they finish and he gets up and you see his whole body wow you see his full frontal and and he walks down the hallway and I thought that's the first time I've seen that and it not be like a special moment right and they just have this great relationship of of Daniel, who's like a bigger guy, and in the show he's also HIV positive, so they they have a whole thing about that. And mm-hmm. but being able to like see his naked body on HBO and having sex with his partner, wow, and being like, wow, I've never seen, seen that. that before, <laughs> yeah. And that was really powerful for me, especially like from an actor that I love and a show that I love, and um, especially because the whole show is like these kind of like, you know, good looking dudes in San Francisco and they're all right. like a certain body type. And I remember there was an episode where one of the characters has a three way and one of the guys in the hot tub that he's sleeping with has shoulder hair, mm-hmm. has like a patch of hair on his shoulders. And I remember a lot of like queer media was like, Oh my God, this is huge. <laughs> I'm thinking what? What? Shoulder hair? Is it's like huge. I have hair on my shoulder and I thought, <laughs> I guess I've never seen that either. Yeah. You know, and he's he's like this hot, like, rugby player, and he had shoulder hair. And I remember an, an interview with the actor was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it wasn't a big deal to right. him. But thinking, like, wow, it, 
as a society, we're behind. And then when we get into, like, anyone not a straight white dude. Mm-hmm. And then when we get into, like, different sexualities. And then, like, the queer... I mean, I think the queer community as a whole, like, we have... I, I find racism and, and, and body shaming and stuff to be, like, heightened in the queer community. Oh, I, can, I think I could see that. I just... And I feel like because we're... Like, one of my favorite shows is Will and Grace. I love mm-hmm. the reboot. I love what they do. But, like, there aren't any big people on that show. No. You know, there's nobody on the... You know, Jack's not sleeping with, like, a, a normal-bodied guy or a bigger-bodied guy. And Will's always fucking some hot cop, you know, Bobby Cannavale or, you know, <laughs> right. something like that. Yes. And one of the running jokes is Karen's husband, Stan, who we never see, is, like, a huge, like, yes. dude. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's like, ah. Especially with the reboot, I'm like, oh, I'd love to see them be a little more subversive because I think mm-hmm. this their reboot is like biting some of the political commentary yeah. the Me Too episode was so powerful with Grace but then like as a show about queer representation they aren't really tackling that and that's right. like that to me is like the show where if I'm gonna look to a queer society or I'm gonna have a media representation that's the most mainstream as it gets when it comes to like Will and Grace sure but then you kind of have to go into like you know the low rated like looking didn't have great ratings has a great like cult following i guess Mm -hmm. but like i had to like go to a premium channel and to like the gay section to like (laughs) find daniel frenzy's penis like (laughs) (laughs) and it just sucks and i feel and i don't know what needs to happen because i think a lot of playwrights are dealing with it and i think there's like people like us who talk about it Mm -hmm. but then like as a as an art form as storytellers like what needs to happen because even shows like this is us like, she's an amazing actor. My big sigh. As well as being a big-bodied woman. Yuck. Oh, man, I love, I just want to be official about my love for Chrissy Madsen in case she's, like, listening to this. I think she's incredible. I really do think she's incredible. Also, she dresses, like, every time. Every time I see her at a damn award show, I'm like, why can I not have your entire closet? But... <laughs> My beef is never with Chrissy Metz, right? It's with the writers, obviously. Mm. She's doing an incredible job with that role. And there's, I am part of a lot of, like, communities online of, like, fat-bodied women for various things, fashion and mm. just, like, fitness and health and all this kind of stuff. And there's a lot of differing opinions about how they – they that show is terrible because of how they represent, mm. you know, lots of things. I mean, whatever. I, in general, like the show. I'm not caught up on the show, but – um, I will say this. I was so excited in the first episode that her entire plot line, the first introduction, was just about her being fat. I I fucking lost it. I thought I I thought this was our moment where we get to have mm-hmm. a fat woman playing a character who's just like a regular old lady. She's just part of this family drama show thing that we're watching, you know, and I was so frustrated because I thought, you know, in the first episode, those other two main characters, they get like diverse complicated character you know like introductions and here our first introduction to her is she's on a scale and it's really bothersome to me because I think what I really want to see out of this is us is an opportunity so maybe it starts there but then Kate learns to actually just accept her body and then start taking care of it mm-hmm. and that's the thing is I think we're when our media represents the same old trite bullshit Mm -hmm. that we've always had that includes the you know theater that includes social media that includes film and television Mm -hmm. to me when 
theater as an art form, right, is supposed to hold the mirror up to society. That's that whole, you know, whoever said that thing, which I can't remember now, but I feel the same way about film and television and all of that. If all we do is hold up stereotypes and bullshit that keep us back, Mm -hmm. there is literally no way to move forward. Mm -hmm. Because I, I believe firmly that our media, our art, influences us as humans. Yeah, it does. You know, they say like, oh, art imitates life, whatever. No, I think that art has an opportunity to really truly change us mm-hmm. not just not just on an individual level right but like imagine if i don't know just imagine if, if every show on television if every main new blockbuster show had a fat character mm-hmm. right or a queer character and it never once came up mm-hmm. they just happened to be a fat-bodied person or their character happened to be queer mm-hmm. but it literally has nothing to do with them they're they're part of the sitcom because they're like the uncle or the mm-hmm. aunt or the whatever it really has nothing to do with their actual character yeah. they just happen to be played by a fat actor or the character happens to be queer yeah and nobody ever talks about it <clears throat> maybe occasionally there's like a joke or something can you imagine how that would change how people viewed queer folks or fat people mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean like it could make a huge difference because it literally just is becoming a non-thing yeah so i think my beef with this is us as an example is not with Chrissy Metz at all is with Kate's character and how it could be so powerful and impactful for her Mm. to grow, for her to, to reject diet culture and just be like, this has literally made me miserable. I'm in pain all the time because of my grief Mm. and trying to modify my body for like the whim of society is doing nothing but like amplifying the effect of my grief. Yeah. Just fuck this. And I mean, that sounds crazy and radical, but let me tell you, I'm a very fat-bodied woman and have been my entire life, and I finally just let go of that shit. Mm. And it has changed my life Yeah, as a person, as an artist, all of that, right? All that shame work that I did as a, mm. as a romantic partner. You yeah. know, I have this partner that is incredible, incredibly loving, and we actually communicate and talk about, mm. talk about intimacy, right? Something that my romantic relationship currently, since I was able to let go of a lot of that shit, has, like, really taught me as an artist is intimacy is way more than sex. Mm. It starts with shit that has nothing to do with sex, Mm -hmm. right? Good emotional intimacy leads to good sex, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Like, even even down to the, like, the idea of foreplay, like... Like, yes. foreplay is like a 24-hour thing. I feel like intimacy can be a 24-hour thing. Yes. Like, as even, you know, like, even just a, a, a touch of the hand mm-hmm. or an idea of, like, being in public and, like, not staring at me while I eat <laughs> or, like, giving, you know, like, not judging <laughs> me for wanting a dessert or yeah. or just things that, like, I think normal body people don't think about. Mm-hmm. But even, like, the fact that, like, having a partner that's not going to shame you for wanting to... What, what otherwise be considered indulging. Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I, like, so in that same thing I was talking about, this essay thing that I wrote about fat athletes, I talk in there about, you know, my partner who's really, he's, like, outdoorsy. He likes to hike and kayak and backpack and fish and all that crap. And um, <laughs> I never really was exposed to that, so I never really tried it. When we first got together, he expressed concern that that's not something I enjoyed, and I flat out just finally told him, I was like, how would I know if I even liked that? Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up doing it. Have you ever seen... I, I flat out asked him, I said, have you ever seen a woman with my body in a in an ad for hiking boots? And he, like, thought, and he was like, uh, no. 
Hmm. Said, so why would I feel encouraged to go try this stuff yeah. if if I wasn't introduced to it like as a kid mm-hmm. and nobody ever expects my body type to be doing these things? And so that's the kind of thing, right? Like having a partner mm-hmm. who didn't question that was like shocking to him. <laughs> he just assumed I didn't like outdoorsy stuff because I had tried it and hated it. It was unfathomable to him that it was not something I was encouraged to try. Mm-hmm. Because he's not that bodied, right? Like he's got this super athletic body and he's just always grown up doing outdoorsy stuff. And so having a partner or people around you, colleagues, whatever, mm-hmm. who don't see those limitations, who like actually look at you like a whole human being mm-hmm. and then really listen to you and go yeah. like, what do you want to do? What are your limitations? Because even mm-hmm. athletically bodied people might have, you know, they might have a, um, like chronic illness. They might have some sort of like, injury right or like um something that limits them that's totally yeah. possible so like really looking at people like human beings mm-hmm. is just so revolutionary yeah but that in itself is a type of intimacy right because mm-hmm. if we look at every person and then that include that extrapolates to characters right and on stage if we look at people as actual whole human beings and then we we're then required <laughs> to respond in kind because mm-hmm. if we expect them expect them to be vulnerable and intimate with us and be whole human beings yeah. really look at that if we don't offer the same of ourselves to like mm-hmm. hold that space with them then we're just like weird voyeuristic creeps yeah, yeah. and so I think that real intimacy like you're saying I agree with you starts with just like who is this person as a whole mm-hmm. person and just allowing for them to be that yeah because like zooming in on, on, on the fat bodied issue is like isolating it and ignoring the multiplicity of a person. Yes, absolutely. And then that's how we go from a thir- three dimensional performance, like we get on This Is Us from her. Uh huh. But then when we're zeroing in on the fat issue, we're creating a one dimensional playing space. Yes. And she's having to, you know, is creating, you know, like 3D models in a mm-hmm. paper world. You know, like she's not she's not able to take the character beyond where the confi- the, the, the the square is, you know, mm-hmm. or, or the space is. Um, and the, yeah, so much of this is just like, but like, what, also <laughs> as a, as a as a woman, what's your alternative? Because like me being a big bodied person and a big man, mm-hmm. people, even though I'm 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 heavy. I'm also 6'7", so people assume I play sports and I'm athletic. Oh, yeah. But I'm a big-bodied man and I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. And so then people always, I mean, like daily, it's like, oh, did you play football? Did you play basketball? And I'm like, no. And then they are disappointed in me. No, but I hung out in the locker room. Hey, yeah, it's like you know. <laughs> I mean, I've I've definitely been around those boys, but sure. not. You know, I, I, I was I'm, I'm with those men, but not in the way that you might appreciate. But like as a woman, yeah, you don't have that alternative. Like mm-hmm. I can be a big buddy person, but people can still assume I'm athletic. Sure. But like your hiking example, mm-hmm. yeah. There, as a big bodied woman, what is the equivalent? Because even as an athlete, women aren't. We're not automatically going to go, oh, yeah, you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. We're like, with me, people will look at me and think I'm an athlete. Sure. Even though I'm like a dump truck sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just that different social structure. Who isn't a dump truck sometimes, I ask you. <laughs> uh, it's a good question, and I'm really searching myself because I want to be serious and not flip it in my answer. But I think my answer is the alternative is nothing. Yeah. That's never assumed of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, no, I guess the alternative is it's always assumed until I, quote, prove otherwise that I'm 
lazy that I quote let myself go that I'm just not well so I will tell you that same conversation with the mm. whole outdoorsy thing it actually started because he said I like to have an active lifestyle and and you don't and let me tell you I might actually tear up now that hurt me deeply mm. because I thought every bit of shame from childhood came back because oh you must be lazy you must you know again I was playing little league baseball but mm -hmm. I didn't think I was athletic yeah <laughs> Right? Like, that's the definition of athleticism, <laughs> playing a sport, yeah. right? And so all the shame came back, and I really struggled with that for a couple of days. And then we talked about it later, and I said, I really reject your use of saying that I'm not active. I'm I'm really busy. I do a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm active in the community. I'm constantly just, like, doing stuff. I barely spend any time, like, on my couch, mm. And so it's hurtful to me that you say that. And he really thought about it because he's a very kind person. And he eventually said, you're right. You are very active. You're not outdoorsy. And so then he corrected himself, right? But, like, I think this illustrates for me someone who actually was really into me, right? Like, mm -hmm. we'd been we'd been seeing each other for several weeks. And he said that to me, and it really hurt me because the assumption is mm -hmm. if you're not – engaging in sport visibly constantly or mm -hmm. talking about it or the assumption is that you just are kind of lazy. And I don't mm -hmm. think that he assumed that of me, yeah. the word active for him, he attached to outdoorsiness mm -hmm. or whatever. But I think that is the alternative. The assumption for fat women is always that we are lazy, that mm -hmm. we are not in any way active or athletic. Yeah. And the fact that you don't have the history of having been an athlete, like I could be like, oh yeah, I did play football and they would excuse sure. my big body right. because I was an athlete. Mm -hmm. And now I can get away with whatever I want because right. somehow I've earned a fat body because yeah. I played sports in high school. But like women don't have that. There's mm -hmm. no alternative or no reason or being like, you're a mom. Right. But then even that, like, I'm, I know even like with, with women that I know that have had children, like people are always like, oh, baby weight. Like, yeah. and it's like, Where's when does it stop? <laughs> I don't, Where, when, do, yeah. when do when do women get the 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 free pass? You know what I mean? Because yeah. like even mm. even think about like my mother who I love and adore, like she gained weight the last couple of years because she has a severe back injury mm -hmm. and she cannot do physical work without sure. injuring her spine anymore. Yeah, and so she you know she managed it in, in other ways. But I remember even thinking like, yeah, what. I, I can I can get a free pass for an imaginary athletic pass. <laughs> right. And, well, and people can't. Even can't. women, I would say even women who let's just say I, you know, would say to somebody, Oh well, you know, I um I used to dance or something, which I cannot no one treats me how to dance because I can't do it. Um but I, like I used to dance, the assumption would be like, oh, she used to be an athlete. She let herself go. Yeah. Let herself go. Yeah. And let me tell you, I know not personally, but, you know, in the communities I'm in, plenty of fat women who are incredible dancers. And I am jealous because I could learn the steps probably, but I just – I don't think I have that thing in my body that dancers have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I tell people, like, listen, I act. I sing. I do stand-up comedy. That's it. I cannot dance. Don't mm -hmm. try to get me to do that. So you can play the choreographer in a chorus line, but you can't be <laughs> but in the I chorus. I can't actually be in the chorus. So. <laughs> exactly, yeah, because I'm just not a dancer. But, you know, it's so interesting to me because – when I was writing this like essay thing and it just kind of tumbled out of me, it wasn't mm -hmm. like I was trying to specifically write it for anything. It was just this thing that came to me. I was thinking of all these ways I was cataloging, like all these times in my life that I've been really athletic mm -hmm. 
And it didn't occur to me, right? Because the idea, I think for women, I think what I'm coming to in this moment thinking about it is like, you're what, like, what's the alternative for fat women? The alternative is always we used to be and now we're something different. Yeah, like you're taking for your present self yeah. where men aren't. And I think that even plays into, well, it's just because I'm white. Like that's another thing too because I think about like some of these men like, like even Alec Baldwin, for example, who I still think is stunning. And oh, yeah. But, like, he's bigger now. Mm-hmm. He's gained weight. But then we can always go, like, oh, when he was on, when he, when he oh, those pictures of him shirtless when he was in his 20s or when he's on Broadway playing Stanley and, and he's just gorgeous and, and lean. And, and we I'm can. Actually more into him now. But, anyways, continue. <laughs> but, you know, we, we can reflect <laughs> on that and go, yep, that's still you. Oh, yeah. And. I, and I think that place for men in general, like looking at like school shooters, for example. Oh, wow. Well, he did this thing right now. But if you look at this oh. or the. Or if the, they're white. If they're white. Yeah. Because if you look at like Trayvon Martin. Yeah. Well, right now he's a thug. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like he's a little boy. Right. Right now he's a child, actually. Yeah. Not all this other stuff. But we sort of pick and choose when to take people for who they are mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And then, but for, for like women, yeah, it's always the idea of letting things go where men, it's like, oh, when Alec Baldwin dies, we're going to see that shirtless picture. Yes, we are. Absolutely we are. You know, like we're, we're it's always going to happen. We're like, I remember when Anna Nicole Smith passed away, we're like looking at her, her being crazy on her reality show mm-hmm. as opposed to being like, she was a, a model, a Playboy model. She's gorgeous. Yeah. But we're going to focus on this or that woman that passed away yesterday from Who's the Boss? Yeah. We see all of her pictures of like right now mm-hmm. or recent work and then being like, oh, she was old. She was old. You know what I mean? She had a whole career yeah. before that. She had a whole she had a whole wonderful life. But I it it's, it just baffles me that But I I think that's it's interesting you say that cuz I'm thinking that's true of women I think in general like when we get married mm-hmm. how do you describe someone they'll say, "Oh, well, oh, you know, I ran into Emily Richmond the other day. Well, she used to be Emily Jones." Mm. She's still Emily Jones just because she legally changed her name when she got married, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is true across the board. Like, women, I, they're, like, I could go on and on for hours about the expectations for women. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the intersectionality of that with, like, fatness, like how mm-hmm. the, the expect, you know. And then, of course, like, I have the privilege of being a white woman. So, yeah, I'm a fat woman, but I'm also a white woman. And mm-hmm. so that gives me specific privileges that I, that like women of color don't have, mm-hmm. especially like if you think of like Asian women, like we think that white women aren't allowed to be fat. Asian women are not, I mean, they're not allowed to have an ounce, mm-hmm. like the, the version of like quote fat. And I'm talking like what people think of as like hugely fat women in Asian cultures I mean, it's like a U.S. 18. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, large love handles and kind of fleshy hips. You know, and at least in American culture, we've like come around to sort of accept that Mm -hmm. as like beautiful and plus size as long as you have a flat stomach. and Yeah, like the plus size models that are are becoming famous right now, it's like they're not really that big. You know, when you think of a lot of the the, the mainstream ones, like I remember a couple years ago, this woman that was – I think she was doing a Victoria's Secret show or something, and they were like, oh, this plus-size model, the bravery of Victoria's She's Secret. She's like a size 12. Yeah, and I'm like, oh. But then I – and I even think of, like, Marilyn Monroe was a big woman. 
Yeah, she a, well, she was very she's, hippie. She's full figured and hippie, and you know, it wasn't really until like the, the end of her career and her life where the weight loss happened. But like, mm-hmm. what made her famous was her like full body. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, like, what has changed from celebrating someone like her? Well, and ultimately destroying her, but sure. I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, even within the communities of like fat women that I'm like part of. Mm-hmm we recognize that there is a certain, quote, plus size or body shape. Like, even if you look at, like, plus size models, right, Mm. they're going to have larger hips with flesh on them. They're generally going to have flat stomachs. They're going to be pretty tall. They're going to have large breasts, Mm. maybe larger thighs. But they're still going to be very muscular and smooth. They're not going to show cellulite. I mean, like, airbrushing or whatever. But that's still the idea, like, as a fat-bodied woman myself, I would never, ever, ever be considered a plus-size model ever. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the shape of my body. Even mm-hmm. though I'm, like, literally who you're marketing to, mm-hmm. to buy your clothing from fat bodies, mm-hmm. like, it's it's really a revolutionary thing lately that there are some smaller clothing manufacturers, um, designers, who are using just what I would call like regular everyday people (laughs) to Mm -hmm. model their clothing. And it is like almost refreshing to tears when I see a woman with my body shape and size and I go, I actually know what that's going to look like on me. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm way more inclined to want to buy that shit because I go, there's no question to me what that's going to look like on my body because Mm -hmm. I'm actually seeing it. And so, you know, we, there's this like, Weird, the body positivity movement, which I'm rolling my eyes since you can't see me because this is a podcast, mm-hmm. um, has been co-opted, mm-hmm. right, by like, hey, it's okay to have some flesh on you. You don't always have to be starving yourself, but it's still it's still not inclusive of all bodies. When I talk mm-hmm. about body positivity, it's like, yeah. that's why, like, when I talk about it, it's more like body liberation or acceptance, mm-hmm. like just accepting that's the vessel that you're in. Yeah, I feel like what, because, like, I, I, I do love the show My 600-pound life, which I'll explain. But, like, it's almost like we get to a certain point, you're plus size, and then you're My 600-pound life. Like, yeah. it seems like there's this gray area that people don't want to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. And, like, and, and then so why I love My 600-pound life is because that is such a dangerous extreme. Like, sure. when you lose your mobility, you lose feeling in your ligaments. But to see someone like that come back from that and then to find love and appreciation for their bodies, their new bodies, mm-hmm. which are still big. Sure. But I always find that really inspiring when, when, when you see their like checkups after they've lost a lot of the weight mm-hmm. and they've learned to love their bodies and it just took them literally being trapped inside of it Sure. to then go, Oh, okay. This is like my vessel. This is something that I can take care of. Um, and I always find that really moving. You know, it's interesting, like I talked earlier about yoga and like how it was a great tool for me to connect, reconnect to my body. And, you know, this whole like idea of loving your body, right? This body positive, love your body. Mm. And the way that it's always touted is from the outside in. It's Mm. like stand in front of a mirror with your belly exposed and rub your belly and tell your body that you love it. And the thing is that I'm calling real bullshit on that. Mm. And here's the reason, not because it's not a cool thing. Like i friggin' rub my belly all the time. Mm-hmm. I started doing it in a comical way towards my partner, and, like, he just laughs every time because he's like, what is your face you're making? <laughs> but um, we should, I think, if we love our bodies, want to touch them. That's not what I'm saying is bullshit. The, the bullshit part about it is, like, telling somebody, you're their entire life, right? 
literally just like building it into every bit of information they ever receive. Your body is definitely not attractive. Mm -hmm. No one will desire it. It's unhealthy, no matter what you say. It's mm -hmm. not athletic. Um, you will never be healthy. You'll never have health. Your body is bad, literally. And then you're like, just stand in front of the mirror and tell yourself that's not true. Like, I'm a licensed therapist with a master's degree. That shit doesn't work. Yeah. It takes lots and lots of therapy. I've mm -hmm. been in therapy for probably a decade, personally, myself, to do the work mm -hmm. to undo those messages. Yeah. However akin to what you're saying about my 600-pound life, the thing that actually really helped me in addition to my, like, fucking 10 years of therapy was being in yoga, truly reconnecting with my body because I had just disconnected myself from it because I hated it, mm -hmm. and finding real strength, mm -hmm. actually doing things in yoga that if you had asked me before I started yoga, like, hey, you want to do this position, this pose? I'd be like, are you insane? Because <laughs> number one, the pictures of the person in the pose would likely be a thin person. Mm -hmm. Now there's lots of plus-size yoga instructors, Amber Carnes and Diane Bondi and mm -hmm. incredible, you know, people doing really, really cool stuff. But before that, I you know, I didn't have that. And so if you had showed me those poses and been like, hey, you want to learn how to do this, I would just be like, there's no way. And the reason I would be like that is because all of the messages had mm -hmm. told me that. So we can relate this to theater since I know that's part of this podcast is why would I ever think I could play this role mm -hmm. or do this certain activity or do this kind of movement or wear this kind of costume if literally the message has been you can't. There has to be someone who tells you you can. And this mm -hmm. is where allies come in, which I want to talk about, right, is like your friend in college going, it is not my job to educate white people mm -hmm. On racism just because I'm a woman of color, not my job. And I agree. No one's listening to fat-bodied people about how we deserve respect and that we're actually more capable. Yeah. We need these allies, right? My yoga instructor, who had taken a yoga for all bodies kind of supplemental training and really just believed in the strength of bodies because she admitted to me later, she said, my mother was really large-bodied, but I saw how strong she was all growing up. I never saw her limited. Mm -hmm. So she welcomed me into yoga helped me modify poses, I started noticing my body getting stronger. And mm -hmm. here I am doing poses. I thought, there's no way I would have ever thought my body could do that. Mm -hmm. That path led me to more of an inside-out kind of love, like you're mm -hmm. saying on my 600-pound life, the capability that they had, like when they were trapped in it mm -hmm. and then had to work to get out of that, the appreciation for their mm -hmm. body and how strong and how well it could perform at things. Mm -hmm. That was the thing that led me into like, oh, I love this body. Like I would a pet or a child mm -hmm. and I want to take good care of it. Yeah. It wasn't the outside in like, oh, just look at your body and just tell you. Because, because when you have been brainwashed, literally, and mm -hmm. I use that word intentionally, mm -hmm. when you have been brainwashed in whatever it is, fat bodies are bad, being queer is a sin and I'm mm -hmm. going to hell, right? I'm inherently lower class because I'm a person of color or, you know, this means that if I'm, you know, if I'm a Latina, mm -hmm. the only thing I'm good for is being with gangsters and, like, selling drugs, which is, mm -hmm. like, how you see Latinas depicted all the time in media as an example, right? Mm -hmm. If that's all you know, if that's what you've been brainwashed to believe culturally, mm -hmm. it's hard to do the outside in. <laughs> you got to mm -hmm. go from, like, the inside out, you know? Yeah, and then what we're seeing in, in both film and theater of – you become better when you become skinny. Yeah. Ugh. You know? Yes. And that's the thing about, like, why I love a 600-pound life and why I like, you know, a play like Man Boobs, which was really poignant mm -hmm. to me, was was that whether you lose the weight or not, it's about your accepting 
yourself and mm-hmm. you owning who you are and then making the changes you want to see happen and engaging yeah. in those and making it happen. And I feel that's especially really needed at a mainstream level theatrically. It's like when I when I go to New York and see shows, I'm not seeing big people. No. It's just not happening. And I think there are so there are supremely talented actors that are working at any level, but it's like I'm not seeing big people in roles other than like playing Tracy in, in Hairspray. Like I'm mm-hmm. just, you just don't see it. And it's like I'm bigger and I know I can sling it. I know sure. you can do the same thing. It's like, but that that training of someone's going to look at me and write me off. Mm-hmm. So why would I go for it? Right, like the the constant rejection. Right, mm-hmm. I go back to that. It's like, and it's the thing just is, so much we, work, and the constant rejection is happening without the actual rejection. Exactly. Yes, we've rejected ourselves before we've gone into the yeah. room to audition. We've rejected it before we've done it, and I think I just get so fed up with it. And and as a director too, I especially because I do a lot of queer works and I do a lot of things that deal with that. Like I remember in co- in college, I got to direct a show called Slipping by Daniel Talbot, an incredible show. There's a lot of graphic sex and violence and nudity and there's stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And it's all very poignant to me. So it was all very smartly placed and, and really talks about like what it what it means to be queer and to be dealing with loss and grief and mm-hmm. then sexu- sexuality. And so one of my the actors was um, um, very athletic looking, very like kind of uh, a sculpted body, like just a very beautiful man in the in the in the common sense. And then there was another one who was also very handsome, but was a little more rounded, mm-hmm. you know. And then the third gentleman in the show was was sort of leaner. And so the three bodies in the show, I thought, were really rep- really representative of what is actually queer. Mm-hmm. You know, like what's actually happening. Where well, you do have the sort of jocks that that love to go to the gym bunnies, and they do all mm-hmm. that. And then you have kind of the normal bodied. And he, you know, he wasn't big by any means, but he, you know, he wasn't sculpted. It's like average. Body. Yeah, and he's still handsome and, and lovely, and his pose yeah. is beautiful. And then, and the other one, my 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 friend Ethan, who's Asian. It, it, was sort of was very lean and and but I just remember thinking like not thinking anything of it until we get to like the nude scenes and audiences coming in and people going like oh I think I expected more you know like a yeah. jockey kind of thing but then we're seeing like real people doing real things mm-hmm. and I just love that and I think I'm more intentional about it now where mm-hmm. I, I sort of look for that I look for who's telling the most compelling story. Right. So that's you were saying in casting. Like, I'm looking for who's who's pushed through the rejection they've already given themselves to actually come into the room and, and play ball with me and mm-hmm. really hit this character and really play with the story. Um, but I wish there was more. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a way for me to reach out and go, come to the theater. Yes. <laughs> come be a part of it because there's a space for you with me. Yeah. And I feel like the and the more people that encourage that, and the more people we can see in the media, the more successful it's going to be. I agree. Any final thoughts? This just didn't go where I thought it was going to, but it was really cool. Oh, thanks. Me too. I yeah, I I love this. I love these conversations. Thank you. Me too. So this is Emily Richmond and Shay King. Thanks for checking into Podspell. Next time, can we record? About actual witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, next time we're going to talk about witchcraft um, and probably more fat bodies. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. Um, so thanks all for checking in. Remember, create for the good of creating. You have been listening to a podcast produced by Wolf and Thunder Productions. 
visit our website at wolfandthunder.com and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash wolfandthunder.